Today's passage of scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 through chapter 53, verse 12. It's a little long, but I think it's fruitful. It's, it's, I would say it's one of the most important passages of the Bible. I know you hear that quite often, but really this is one of the most significant passages of scripture in the Old Testament specifically. So Angie's going to come up and read that for us. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. So marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When we read the Christmas story, I think we can understand why wise men visit Jesus. And if we were to have put that story together, we would have probably brought along the Sadducees and Pharisees. In other words, the religious leaders would have come and visited Jesus. Maybe Herod would have come not to try to kill him, but to try to submit and surrender himself to him. And all the wealthy nobles of Bethlehem and Judea would have come and visited him. But there's a group of men who visited Jesus that I think most of us, if we were to plot out that story, we would not have included them in that picture. And it's the shepherds. The shepherds are surprising because they truly are nobodies. They are the, the lower class, the lowest class, you might say, of society. And yet they were there. So why were they there? Why did God 
bring shepherds to visit Jesus? The answer actually comes not from the New Testament, from the Old. Actually, shepherds line the story of the Bible. In the very beginning of time, there was a man by the name of Abel who had a brother named Cain. And if you know that story, I don't know if you can recall, but Abel was a shepherd. And so were, was Jacob and Israel, all the sons of Jacob. There were numerous shepherds throughout the whole of the Old Testament. In fact, the most famous shepherd of all, David, who was not only a shepherd, but a king, but known very much for being that shepherd. There are also evil shepherds in the Old Testament. Zechariah and Ezekiel talk about the high priests and the, the scribes and all of the religious leaders. God calls them evil shepherds because they didn't care for their flock. So one thing for sure is that we know that this concept of shepherd and then sheep are very significant in the Bible in telling the, the story of the gospel. And so here in Isaiah chapter 53, we have what is truly one of the most profound understandings of the gospel of Christ and what the Messiah was supposed to do. And here we see that at the core, at the very center of this passage, lies this concept of sheep and shepherd. And so I want to unpack this by first looking at what it means when we talk about sheep in verse 6, and then secondly as shepherd in following verses. To understand a shepherd, you have to start with the sheep because that's his job after all. Yes, he cares for sheep. And I want to draw heavily from a man by the name of Philip Keller. He lived during the Great Depression. He was actually a shepherd. And when I say shepherd, I don't mean a metaphorical shepherd. He was a physical shepherd. He had a flock of sheep. And so he wrote about it because later on, he actually became a metaphorical shepherd, a pastor of a church. And the word pastor, the reason why I even use the word pastor is it basically means shepherd. And so Philip Keller, in describing his experiences as a shepherd, puts it this way. He says, it is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Another shepherd describes his life with his sheep this way, another real shepherd. He says, if a lambing merino ewe is not in good condition or doesn't feel up to it, she will walk around from the newborn lamb, uh, walk away from the newborn lamb and leave it to die or have a second twin and leave the first one for the foxes. Then there's a situation of a sheep found out on its own without other sheep as company. They will often walk in circles, going nowhere and not eating until they die. Yes, I've seen it happen. Sheep have a way of dying for no reason. Now you're probably thinking, boy, sheep really are stupid. But look at the Bible and especially our passage, and you'll see that the Bible calls us sheep. And we look at verse 6 of chapter 53, Isaiah, and we see this very idea. First, we are all sheep. I know that runs against 
everything within us that says, no, I'm not sheep. But the word all is inescapable. It doesn't leave exception. It, it means that every one of us, if we are people who believe the Bible, then we would say, yes, I am sheep. Now, here's the thing. If we are not sheep, we don't need a shepherd. And until we realize that we are sheep, only then will we actually want to follow the shepherd. So the question is, how are we sheep? Because that just seems so insulting. How are we sheep? We are sheep because we are ruled by, as the shepherd describes, by fears. And those fears flow from this idea that I go the way that I want to, even if it is to my own destruction. It doesn't matter as long as I choose it. So sheep are heading towards a cliff. And there's a story of actually one sheep that's heading toward a cliff. And then there's a bunch of sheep that's following it towards a cliff. And just as the, the idea of mob instinct comes to play, one sheep goes over and the rest just follow it, even over the cliff. See, by its very definition, sheep inherently go astray. And that's the second idea of it is that not only are we all like sheep, we all go astray. That's truly what defines sheep. Sheep do not want to follow the shepherd. Now that's very contrary to the way that the world understands sheep because we tend to think that sheep follow anybody over the cliff. When in actuality, sheep's inherent instinct is not to follow anybody, but to go off on their own, even if it's to go in circles to their death, not eat, not sleep, not drink. They'll just go in circles till they die. So this idea that sheep follow, now they can follow an evil shepherd to their death, but that's not sheep's instinct. That's not what's inherent to them. They always want to do what is best for themselves. Last week I had shared that if we had the mind of heaven, we would be the most earthly good. And here we see that the reason why is that the shepherd, if he's good, he prods us with his rod and staff. His rod and staff ward off bears and lions and all sorts of predators. But the rod and staff also force the sheep because, because the sheep is moving away from the green pasture and heading towards the cliff. A good shepherd doesn't say, oh, that's okay. I, they can go whichever way they want. They, they have their own will, their own way. They can just decide for themselves. I think they'll do what's best. No, that's not how it works. Sheep left on its own goes over the cliff. But the good shepherd has this grand pasture, this green pasture. If you go to the Middle East today, in different parts of Israel, Jordan, most of it is desert land. It's actually pretty stark. And so oftentimes Bedouin shepherds, they're constantly roaming, itinerant, they're moving because they're looking for green pastures. And sometimes the patch of grass or greenness that a sheep, a sheep can eat is so small. And so they have to, they bring their whole flock, they all eat of this little patch, and then they move on with all these stones in area and then find another place. So it's this constant moving, this almost edge of starvation and then fulfillment and then starvation fulfillment. The promise is that actually 
the good shepherd always wants to provide a vast array of green pasture. But sheep don't want that. They always move away from it because they always think to themselves, I know what it, where it's best for me and I will follow it. Even if it is to do terrible, grave things or to their death. Now that's sort of how it works even in our society in our day. The, remember the days where there was no internet? We thought it was complicated then. It's not, it wasn't as complicated. And so you have social media and I mean, just this past week, there was a, on, there was a TikTok challenge of a bunch of people trying to get kids to go into schools and actually bring a gun and shoot people. And there were a number of students arrested all across the country. I mean, you, you probably are thinking, who would think of such a thing? And who would want to do that? And yet there are. That's sheep heading toward a cliff, following the voices, evil voices, and a bunch of sheep just pushing on that direction. I mean, it doesn't require something that vast. All you need to do is just look online and you'll see everyone saying, you need to pursue a certain type of lifestyle. You have to have this workout program. You have to buy this product. You have to have this body shape. You have to have this perfect type of skin. Go to this most happening, the, if you don't miss this, uh, if you don't go to this event, you're going to miss out. If you don't take advantage of this investment, you're going to lose all your wealth. You're not going to have the, the retirement that you're going to need. Voices are all around us. They're all trying to pull us away from the shepherd to the cliff. And they don't, you know, voices wouldn't be powerful if they didn't sound good. And also, if they didn't provide a little patch of grass that you looked and you saw, oh, that looks really great. And you go eat it, and then you, you see yourself actually surrounded in a desert. and just going to starve yourself to death. We always are tempted to follow evil shepherds, but more so our own heart, which leads us astray. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Even at church, it's very easy to follow these voices. For example, perhaps you came here thinking, I want one of what I would call the three F's, friends, feelings, or fun. And if we're really honest with ourselves, quite often that drives why we choose a church. We might say, yes, I really appreciate the preaching. I, I love the word, whatever it might be, the teaching. But at the end of it all, can you be in a place where God's word is preached, but maybe you don't have as many tight friends? Maybe your, your feelings, you're not, you don't walk away feeling so exhilarated. Or you feel as though, oh, it's boring. Those three feelings and friends and fun, it, it leads to what I would call the, the really ultimate F, a failure to trust the Lord. And it's because our inclination is always to desire what we feel is good for ourselves, not what is ultimately good. We want the gift truly, but not the giver of the gift. And that's the heart of the sheep. Sheep always, as Judges says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's the last verse of Judges. 
a whole book of different people who are reigning and ruling. But the common theme is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. All we like sheep have gone astray. Now, that's sobering. And you might say to yourself again, I'm not sheep. Well, if you're not sheep, then you'll never have a shepherd. Until you realize that your heart does go astray, that your instinct is to go to that cliff, that the many voices and many evil shepherds that are in our world, you're inclined to follow. If you're not willing to admit that, then you'll never understand this last part, which is that all of our sins, all of our unrighteousness have been borne by the slain lamb. And we see that in verses six and seven, the shepherd would be slain as though he was a lamb himself. And the way that we see it described is, you see that phrase where it says, and it has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That phrase has laid upon him, commentator E.J. Young, he translates this phrase in Hebrew as to hit or strike violently. It's the same idea in um, chapter uh, 53, verse four, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And then in verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So this Messiah, this good shepherd, he is going to bear all of our pains. And when I hear this, um, this idea of what has been laid upon him, what has been struck violently, I, I, th I think of uh, this idea, which is that sometimes when there was a traitor in the midst of an ancient army, they would capture that man, they would tie him to a post, and they would have all these different soldiers come up and they would take a knife, a small knife, a small dagger, and they wouldn't stab him to death, but they would, everyone slice him once. Have you ever been, ever been cut with a knife? Like I have with my finger or just a small paper cut. Actually, it hurts, right? Well, imagine they do this. And if you ever heard someone who has died the death of a thousand cuts, it's not that the cuts themselves kill you. They all kill you because one cut can kill you. It's to kill you in the most painful way possible. So everyone gets a slice. When I read this verse, he has laid upon him. Who is the he? That's God. God has laid upon who is the him? That's the good shepherd, the Messiah the one who was chosen to bear the sins of the world that God has laid upon him. And as E.J. Young says, he has struck him violently. One commentator puts it this way. Each sin of every sinner would be like a separate wound in the heart of this man of sorrows. You know what I imagine it to be? I think when we think of our sins placed on Jesus, we tend to think of this big hunk of sin thrown onto Jesus and he bears it. And so it becomes in a way a little, there's a little distance of that. We don't really comprehend, well, what does that really look like? But from verse, uh, verse six, as well as this comment from a biblical theologian, I think I want to describe it this way is that it's as if every one of our sins is like that cut. So if you can imagine all of your sins in your mind, in your heart, when Jesus is on that cross, he is literally being sliced 
by every sin that you commit. Every sin of your mind, every sin of your heart, every action. Multiply that by everyone in this room and then by anyone who's ever lived and anyone who will live who trusts in Christ. That's an infinite amount of cuts and slices and wounds. And you can then understand when he dies on that cross why there's such agony. The agony wasn't simply the one nail to, to the hands and the feet. That was physical pain. And sometimes... If you've ever experienced, I remember when I was, when my first daughter, Carissa, was a baby, actually, and I was holding her. We're at a wedding, and I went up to take a picture of the couple. So I was holding her in one hand, and I, I, I carried, my, you know, carried my camera, and I went up to the couple, and I took the picture. And then as I was walking back, there, there was a dance floor, and it sort of beveled like this. And so I stepped on the edge, and my ankle went like this, and I, I'm holding my, my baby daughter, but I'm stumbling, and I could feel, I thought I was gonna pass out. I, I sensed the blood just rushing out of me, and I was dizzy, it was dark, so I did everything I could so that I didn't collapse with my, my daughter in my hand, and that just that searing pain it literally almost made me pass out. And I don't know if any of you ever passed out from pain. But that is so insignificant compared to what Jesus bore on that cross. We have to stop and think, all of my sin led to him being on that cross that way. So this idea of the slain lamb if we're so caught up with thinking, I don't want to be thought of as sheep. Well, if you are not thought of as sheep, you do not need a shepherd. And if you do not need a shepherd, then Jesus didn't die for you. Then that cross is in vain. Every time we do what is right in our own eyes, every time we hold our ground and say, I refuse to forgive you, I refuse to reconcile, I refuse to initiate reconciliation. Every time we look at even someone close to us, our husband and wife, if you came today, you got into an argument, driving over, another cut, another nail in Jesus' hand. If you are a believer of Christ, that's what it is. Every single word, every curse word that comes out, another slice. Every lustful thought, another slice. Over and over and over again. Until we get to understand that's what we have caused, we will never truly follow the shepherd. We won't see him good enough. And by not seeing him good enough, we'll continue on and on and on. We always will, actually, until we see him face to face. So that's what sheep are like. Keep that in mind, because that provides us the context for the shepherd. The shepherd, and that's why I had Angie read uh, chapters 52 to 53, it really helps us to see this grand picture of why God would do this, how he could be so grand. So a few things about the shepherd. First is the shepherd pays for his sheep. The shepherd pays for his sheep. Philip Keller, again, he writes this, I recall quite clearly how in my first venture with sheep, the question of paying a price for my use was so terribly important. They belonged to me only by virtue of the fact that I paid hard cash for them. 
It was money earned by the blood and sweat and tears drawn from my own body during the desperate grinding years of the Depression. Do you remember, for all of us who, you got your first job and you were saving up for something, whether it's for an article of clothing, maybe a car, maybe for some of you, saving up for your house, saving up for your education, something. Well, when you work really, really hard for something, whatever you end up purchasing, that first item, it, it's special. I mean, a lot of people have their first car stories. It's a special car. No matter how bad the car is, it was you worked for it, you bought it with your hard-earned money, and you appreciate it. That's the thing about something that we work hard for and labor for. Whatever we buy with it, it becomes so dear to us. And so if you can imagine, it, it just shows the higher the cost of how much and how hard it is to obtain something, the more we value it. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, when he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. It's the same idea in verse 10 of Isaiah 53. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. His being Jesus, the Messiah, when his soul makes an offering, when he provides the offering, when he himself is the offering. So he's paying the price for me and you. And because the price was so dear to him, that means the object of that price is so dear to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? The more he pays, and he cannot pay more than his own life, that means that you are that special to him. You are that important. You are that beautiful. You are that lovely and significant to him. And because it is his blood for you, there is nothing more special and dear to him than you. So are you really troubled to be called sheep? I don't know about you, but I love being a sheep. I love the fact that someone loves me that much, regardless of whether I have succeeded or failed. You know, he doesn't say to you, well, you know what, on today, today you didn't really listen to my voice, so I'm going to dump you today. It just doesn't happen. You know why? Because he already paid the price for you. He paid, paid such a dear price that even your constant stubbornness and rejection of him, he always pulls you back and says, well, it doesn't matter. I paid for you. You're still mine and you're loved. This says so much to us. If we can just get this as men and women, as teenagers, as college students, that we don't need to belong to a particular group of people to actually be someone of significance. When you're not bound to that, you are free. Freedom is the bountiful blessing of ownership by a, a good shepherd. When the good shepherd owns us, we're freed from the bound, boundful ways of our world which always tries to suck us into, hey, you need this hairstyle. You need to get plastic surgery. 
you need to have this type of job or this type of education or this status. You need this brand of clothing in order to be special. You need to marry this type of person. We don't need that at all. We're already significant. If you're already significant, then you can actually be in each other's lives. One of the reasons we, when we meet someone who's new to the church, someone who is different, maybe to school or to work, why are we kind to somebody? Don't ever be kind because your mom and dad told you you have to. It never works anyway, don't you think? When someone forces you to be kind, you become unkind. Because what happens is you put on a facade. You might say, I'm, you know, I'm glad to meet you. But in your heart, you're saying, I hate my mom and dad for making me do this. I can't stand being a pastor's kid because being a pastor's kid means that everyone's watching my parents. And so therefore, they're forcing me to be like this because everyone's watching me then. That's a facade, and it never leads to kindness at all. You know what, it, what causes a person to be friendly and to be welcoming and to be warm and to be kind? When they're a sheep. When they know they've been bought and purchased with a price. When they know that they don't have to put on a display for everyone to be special, to fit in. They already fit in. They already belong. And that already belonging sense is a power that this world cannot understand. So nothing about status, class, ethnicity, nothing determines your worth except the fact that you've already been purchased. Listen to what Jesus says in John 10, 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The them is referring to his disciples, me and you, followers of Christ. That is to say that because Jesus paid for you, just like when you buy something, you own it. It's yours. So Jesus bought you. You're his. He owns you. And you might say, I don't like the word ownership. But if he doesn't own you, then you don't belong to him. See, ownership is really bad when the owner is evil. But when the owner is perfectly forever good and righteous, oh, you want to be owned by that person. Because by you will be protected, you will be loved, you will be cherished, you will be forever significant, you will be infinite in value, and you had a high price, an infinite cost. And the promise, look at what Jesus says in John 10, 29. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one, not including you. You can't even snatch yourself out of the Father's hand. You can't mess up bad enough for the Father to say, I forget you. you I'm done with you. You just messed up way too many times. We love the gospel message because it just reminds us so much how much of a merciful God he is. We need the gospel. Isn't the gospel more countercultural than ever before in a culture that says, when you mess up, no second chance? I mean, we, we use the word cancel culture. But that's basically what that is. It's called a, a lack of forgiveness culture. And the gospel is, 
everyone needs forgiveness all the time because we all, if we were truly to be consistent in our world, were to be consistent, we would cancel everyone, including ourselves. No one would be able to bear the weight of being standing up to every single instance of being able to uh, weigh up to that integrity. I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine, and he, he actually is friends with a number of fallen pastors, people who, ha- a lot of pastors who uh, have either committed adultery or financial impropriety or had like some, some scandal, and so many of them have fallen. And I was just talking to him this week, and he was sharing how he is connected as soon as he hears this, he call, contacts all of them. And he will talk to them and pray with them. And, you know, a lot of them are, sometimes you read about them in, in different Christian magazines. And, and so the instinct is for everyone to say, look at that. That guy is a real evil person. But when he was talking to me about his conversations with all of them, one of the key commonalities was actually all of them see their brokenness. They all realize they messed up. And it's as if that person can never, ever, ever enter into God's people and be forgiven. Like forgiveness is beyond them. And I heard that and I thought, how does it happen that in a world like ours where every one of us is sheep who goes astray, that sometimes even shepherds actually go astray? but then they're broken and they, want, they need a return to. We all do. So we need to see the only way you grow in love and kindness and forgiveness is you have to see yourself as, I go astray, I'm sheep, I need a good shepherd. And he owns me, he has authority over me. And I love that authority over me. You know, in a world that tries to shirk authority, I think we have to be in a place where we say, you know, Jesus' authority, it's perfect. It's so good. Whatever he says, I will do. I will follow it. There's an old song that I, we used to sing when I was, uh, you know, in high school. It's, we, we don't sing a lot of those songs, but there was a song called Shepherd of My Soul. It's like, shepherd of my soul, I give you full control. Wherever you may lead, I will follow. Anyone ever heard that song? That When I would sing, I would like cry. I'd be, I'd be bawling because it, I just felt as though that's exactly what I didn't want to do is give him full control. But when our shepherd paid everything, even the payment is being paid now in a sense because... My sins are happening concurrently now, and he's bearing those cuts every second of every moment. It was on that tree, on that cross, and he's still bearing it. How can I not say, I give you full control? Wherever you lead, I will follow. Even as we just sang about in that song, in the valley of the shadow of death, even if you lead me there, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. The shepherd also enjoys his sheep. John 10, 10 through 11. The sheep comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What does the good shepherd want to do? Why did the good shepherd come according to verse 10? We know what the thief has come to do, to steal, kill, and destroy, to lead us over the cliff. But the good shepherd, he wants to give you life abundantly. It's not to give you misery. Sometimes, though, sometimes there's pain in that. I think we can understand that. For those of you who are parents, you know, when you're parenting your child, sometimes you have to seize your child and grab them because they're about to walk into the road where an oncoming truck is coming. And you're going to take your child and grab them and throw them away to the ground. And they're going to say, but they're not looking. And all they see is you, dad or mom, grabbing your, your child and throwing them to the ground towards the curb. And let's say they break their ankle on the way. They don't see that impending death was coming. What they see is you causing pain. And they say, you're unfair. You're not good. Well, that's our shepherd, our good shepherd, even when we go through pain. It's never to actually cause the pain. It's to protect us ultimately so that we wouldn't have ultimate pain. And ultimate pain is not found in this world. Ultimate pain is when we lose everything eternally. He wants life abundantly for us because he's the good shepherd and he's proven it. He's laid down his life for the sheep. So know this. Jesus never harms us for our ill. He never brings or allows harm to come to us because he hates us or he wants to cause us misery. To be a Christian is not about being miserable and following commands. If that's your view of it, then you don't understand what the shepherd has done for you. The good shepherd lays down his life for you to have it abundantly. And anytime you trust yourself, your own inclinations in this world, it drives you apart from God. It's our, again, our instinct is to go astray. And so the good shepherd, his desire is instead to bring you home. He's always working to bring you home. The shepherd brings home his sheep. Anyone who follows things following Jesus as a life of misery doesn't understand this to be true. And one of the greatest shepherds, as I shared, was King David. He was a shepherd. And he wrote Psalm 23. I've shared that psalm in many a funeral. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The Bible is a, is a book of joy, of deep satisfaction, of pleasure. If you read the Bible rightly, you'll always see that. But in the midst of that, and sometimes the means to get to that place takes real challenge and difficulty. And some of you are in that place now. All of us will be in that place someday. Whether it's death, trial, in unjust people, difficult circumstances, rejection from all sorts of people, friends, organizations, job offers, schools. All of this is but a journey. But the end goal of chapter 23 of Psalms is, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's, it's, it's the wonder promise that we as believers of Christ have. It makes sense why that's what you want people to walk away from in a funeral. And today is to say, this is not my end. We will not be dealing with different viruses or goodbyes. It will always be forever I'm with you to the end of the age. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But it cost the price of God's own son for you. So can you accuse God of injustice, unfairness? I'm not saying we shouldn't, or there's no place to ever say, why, Lord, why? But it's, why? But I trust you. Or as Job says, though you slay me, I will trust in you. And the reason we trust in him is because we are sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid upon him, has struck. Our God has struck his son violently with our iniquity, with our sin, with our rebellion. I can see why shepherds were surrounding the manger that day. As they're staring in, it reminds Mary and Joseph and those, and just any gathered, that this would be the good shepherd who would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what we're celebrating in this season. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your promise that has been made true because of a price paid. We are owned. I pray, Father, especially for those who don't see the value of that, that they would turn to you. They would not pass you by today. I pray, Father, that especially for those of us who do believe in you, that we come to see that we are significant because you paid a price for that significance. And no one in this world can take that away from us. Even if we were to lose our job tomorrow, we are significant. Even if we were to lose a limb or to not be able to walk, or if we had a scar that due to burns on our face, we would be beautiful and significant because we are, we've been bought with a price. If we lost our family, our loved ones, if we don't fit in, for eating in the cafeteria table alone, we are significant. We are precious. We are valuable in, of infinite worth because we have been paid, we've been bought with an infinite price. Help us first, Lord, to see that we are a, a sheep who have gone astray and that we have a good shepherd who loves us so dearly. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name.